Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Hey, welcome everyone. Um, my name is uh, Professor Bart Kamartz. I'm uh, head of the department uh, of the Media and Communication Department here at uh, LSE, and uh, it is my uh, privilege uh, to welcome you all to this event uh, to celebrate uh, Professor Emer Emerita uh, Robin uh, Mansell and her legacy. Uh, and the title of this session is uh, Imagining Information and Communication Technologies for a Fairer World, which is, I think, a very apt uh, title because before the real realization of that fair world, uh, or dare I say more equal world, uh, comes creative imagination more so than destruction. I had to start with a pun for the economists. <laughs> uh, it feels a bit weird though uh, to be celebrating Robin's legacy whilst that legacy is still being written, both literally, as I know, uh, and also figuratively speaking. Uh, while you're now an emerita, you are still very much part of our department, uh, Robin, and it's intellectual life, so, so we, we very much hope. And also knowing Robin a little bit, uh, I'm sure that she also feels ambivalent about an event uh, like this, proud and warmed on the one hand, but also imbued with slight feelings of, of excruciation and a little sprinkle of self-deprecation. <laughs> <laughs> However, we could not possibly let uh, this moment pass without celebrating her and, and acknowledging uh, the enormous and influential impact uh, that she has had on so many of us present here, as well as uh, online, on our department, on the school, on the wider academic community, and beyond uh, as well, indeed contributing very much to making this world fair, or at least advocating for ways to achieve this. Regarding ways of achieving uh, this fairer world, I started this introduction by emphasizing creative imagination. And one of Robin's many academic identities is of course uh, being a political economist in the, in the, world polit in the word political is very important here. It not only implies, uh, let's say, fundamental dig at the neoclassical economics, uh, economists, uh, had to get that in there as well, uh, but it above all opens up a path towards a critical and normative agenda which is precisely needed to amongst other justify what fairness is, fairness for whom, and a guide as to how and where to strike a balance between different interests and co competing centers of power as well as resistance. But the political and being political and critical is also challenging, and especially if we are aiming to impact decision makers, policy, uh, as, as Robin uh, intended uh, and has always uh, done, and also be part of constructing a path uh, towards how things ought to be, rather than merely critique the ways, the way things are. Let me also share a little anecdote in this regard. You see, I'm someone who tends to wear uh, his politics on his sleeves and also being sometimes even being pro provocatively political. But Robin did learn me an important lesson in that regard. 
when I was reading Draft's chapter of Robin's book, Imagining the Internet, one of my comments was, why don't you make the political more explicit in your writing in your book? And Robin's answer was, well, if I do that, uh, uh, the very people that who have decision-making power and whom she aimed to engage with influence would stop reading and listening because indeed they will easily pigeonhole you in that ideologically and dismiss everything you say and argue on that basis. As such, an another important and related lesson of Robin's work that in the end creative imagination to realize that other more fair, more just, warmer world needs to be tied to the need to convince with sound and solid evidence, which makes Robin not only theoretically strong, but also methodologically a powerful combination to which I also adhere personally. But I would say that's more than enough from me, as we have a stellar panel for you uh, this evening with speakers from all over the world who have been touched by Robin and her work in a variety of ways. And before I introduce them each individually, before they speak, uh, I would like to invite you to extend a warm welcome and applause to Sharon Strover, Hopeton Dunn, Gillian Marcel, Mark Raboy, Alison Nora Gilwald, and Linje Magnoso. So let me first uh, introduce uh, Professor Sharon Strover, our first uh, speaker, a, a bit more uh, in depth. Uh, Sharon is the Philip G. Warner Regents Professor in Communication at the University of Texas in the US. And Professor Strover teaches communication and telecommunication courses and also co-directs the Technology and Information Policy Institute. Her most recent publications examine disinformation strategies associated with Russian Facebook ads, local broadband deployment strategies around the world, and the role of broadband in rural uh, regions. Uh, so without further ado, Sharon, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, thanks very much. And, and it is such a pleasure to be here. I'm truly honored to be invited to offer a few remarks commemorating Robin's retirement at, at LSE, and I know she'll certainly be a continued presence in our discipline and, and in our organizations and our scholarship. I'm especially gratified that this event is framed in terms of how communication scholarship can contribute to a fairer world, because that's a terrific summary of exactly what Robin's work has always focused on. I uh, had the chance to host Robin here in Austin a few years ago, the before times, uh, and it was a great opportunity to get to know her a little better. I have found that margaritas and Tex-Mex food break down inhibitions and formalities pretty regularly. So, uh, so we're, we're, we engaged in both of those while she was here in, in Texas. Um, and, and it was a pleasure to get to know Robin on a more personal level. Uh, in my brief comments, I want to call your attention to the, to the qualities her work and her presence have epitomized. The mentorship of graduate students, service, and a clear and democratic vision for communication systems. I've known Robin now for a couple of decades, possibly from an early IAMCR or ICA back in the 90s, 
and our paths have crossed many, many times, mostly at conferences. She has, as all of you probably know, an astounding record as a leader in the field. But what always struck me in these meetings, beyond her leadership, was that her grad students were usually at these various conferences. Robin's mentorship and shepherding of her students was nothing short of exemplary. I saw her constantly supporting her students and encouraging their work, whether that was a little hand-holding or gentle but firm critique. And their continuing contributions to maintain the strong emancipatory values that Robbins promotes is, is I think, terrific testimony to her accomplishments. Robbins seems to manage to be both supportive and insistent on very high standards. Doing both can often be challenging. And she's really been a model for me in this in so many ways. She's uh, extraordinarily giving of her time as well. When we had her here in Austin, we invited her to speak with graduate students and faculty on her visit, and she was unfailingly gracious and attentive, spent unlimited time with the graduate students, and made she really made her visit a paragon of what it is to be helpful and unintimidating simultaneously. She's also one of the most organized persons I've ever met. I got to see this in, uh, in action uh, a, few, a few months ago when we were both at a Washington, D.C.-based conference. We call, it's a policy conference called TPRC, Internet and Communications Conference. And both of us sit on the board of that conference. And Robin uh, led an all-day doctoral consortium effort another testimony to her mentorship commitment, and I pitched in as well. Robin has spreadsheeted everyone with time assigned and reviewers for small group efforts entirely blocked out. When people fail to show up or new people came, as always happens in these sorts of meetings, she redid the spreadsheet on the fly and everything was beautiful. I felt like I was the page turner for the pianist. She was the pianist in this and she did a fantastic job. I received so many comments from student attendees about how helpful the event was for their growth. Uh, in spite of her incredible accomplishments, without, which are both numerous and highly significant to the field, Robin's also pretty modest. It turned out at this recent event, we were both staying at the same hotel on this trip and uh, neither of us realized it ahead of time. It was not the conference hotel, it was a different hotel. And I saw her in the morning when I was waiting to meet a former student for an early breakfast and I invited her to join us. She demurred, didn't want to intrude. How could she not realize my student would love to meet her? Uh, finally, she agreed to join us. I had to cajole her into joining us in what turned out to be a, an absolutely lovely breakfast, after which we walked to the conference together. My former student was so grateful, and so was I, for her company and her conversation. Uh, there are very few courses I teach in which I don't have something from Robin Mansell on the reading list. And these, this speaks to her incredible intellectual rigor, 
her prolific publication record, and her commitment to a vision of justice and fairness in, her communi in our communication systems. And most recently, when I was preparing to talk to my class about the digital divide, I reread one of her articles addressing datafication practices. Um, and I was reminded, again, of her enduring commitment to a vision of what we might accomplish, what we need in terms of a future digital world that is, isn't dependent on exploitive models, on, on exploitive economic models in particular. And this is a, third, a theme that she returns to repeatedly, and it's one that could not be more important in this era. It's an argument, a vision she supported throughout her career and in her many leadership roles with our organizations and with a large variety of other entities. Its importance simply can't be underestimated. And we've been so fortunate to have Robin leading this charge, being critical, anchoring a vision, and moving it towards a reality. Robin, you've been nothing short of inspiring to all of us. So I salute you and look forward to learning what your next projects will be. We're all greatly in your debt for your many, many contributions. And we look forward to what's coming in the future. So with this, I'll turn it, I'll turn it back to our chair. Thank you, Sharon. Our next speaker is Hopeton Dunn. Hopeton is a professor of media and communications at the University of Botswana. He's also senior research associate at the School of Communication at the University of Johannesburg. He's a distinguished scholar in our field and amongst many other roles, Professor Dunn is also former secretary general of the International Association for Media and Communication Research, uh, which Robin was also president of for, for, for a few years. His most recent uh, books include the edited volume Reimagining Communication in, the Africa, in Africa and the Caribbean, as well as uh, Global South uh, and Global South Issues in Media, Culture and Technology. So without further ado, I uh, hope the floor is uh, yours. Thank you very much, Bart. And <clears throat> I must first of all greet our guest of honor, Professor Emerita Robin. Also, I want to greet my members of the panel, members of the department, distinguished guests, students, colleagues, all. I consider it a great honor to be asked to be a part of this panel, paying tribute to our friend and colleague, Robin, at this important milestone in her career. As we do so, we also address the theme of the symposium, Imagining ICTs for a Fairer World. As has already been said, it is in a very real way, a theme that encapsulates the essence of what Robin has been about throughout her career and will doubtless continue to be about as she continues a distinguished career built around fairness, equity, and justice in the global ICT policymaking sector. 
she's rightly held in very high esteem within our discipline for her intellectual acumen, scholarly leadership, and her innovative interventions in the debates in our sector. But today, I will also want to recognize her for her consistent advocacy on issues related to the development agenda globally, and in particular in relation to the global south. This sensitivity to equity as regards place and space has lent universality to her work and reflects itself deeply in her published articles. I've just identified a few of them that I wanted to just cite as indicative of this very commitment that I speak about. So there is information and communication technologies for development, assessing the potential and risks published in 1999 in telecommunications policy. Digital opportunities and the missing link for developing countries, first published in 2001 in economies, economic policy. From digital divides to digital entitlements in knowledge societies, published in the SAGE journal Current Sociology in 2002, and the article Empowerment and or Disempowerment, the Politics of Digital Media, published in 2014 in the journal Popular Communication. These, of course, are just a few of what we all know is an extensive body of work possessed by Robin, each one becoming in its own right something that we recommend to our students, especially to our graduate students. These works demonstrate her advocacy and consistency on issues of fairness and development and opportunities for growth and contribution by people all over the world. Of course, Robin's scholarship is much broader in range than its interest in the global south. I took particular note of the fact that her work placed a special emphasis on the notion of power. In various published articles and lectures over many years, she discussed such topics as political economy, power, and new media, new media and the power of networks, power and interests in information, communication, and development, new media competition and access, the scarcity, abundance, dialectic. So at the heart of this public discourse is a recognition that the rise of information technologies should not perpetuate the old hegemonic paradigms of disparity in access or promote the often well-evident dominance by technology uh, elites and powerful global conglomerates. Robin argues that equity must be embedded in systems of governance, 
in global ICTs. These sentiments thoroughly infuse her scholarship and they find now significant resonance in the current global debate about social media platforms, their ownership and control systems, as well as issues of rights and digital entitlements. But let me turn for a moment to a more personal reflection of my association with Professor Mansell. When I joined the IAMCR and joined its communication policy and technology section, Robin was already the chair and a prominent scholarly leader in this sector. I learned a great deal from her while she served as chair of the se section and as a kind of mentor guide to many of us who had joined the IAMCR and the section. Eventually, I was among those who succeeded to the leadership of the section, thanks in large measure to Robin's mentorship. She was to move on in due course to become IAMCR's president in about 2004, providing stellar leadership to this global organization. But she never lost contact with the section and with the mid-career and emerging scholars that helped to make this section and through her own initiative, one of the largest sections in the association. I remember becoming, by virtue of being chair of that section, a member of the International Council of the IAMCR when Robin was president. It is a council, as we all know, of section heads and distinguished scholars from the world over, and I was just finding my feet in this council. On one occasion, as she chaired the council meeting, and I was there minding my own business, someone called her out and requested that she should leave the meeting to attend to something urgent outside. To my great surprise, I heard Robin say as she left the room, I am asking Hopeton to continue chairing the meeting. Well, I was as much taken aback as I believe the veterans in the room were, but I did exactly as Robin directed. I proceeded to chair the meeting until she returned. But it was clear to me that this decision was reflective of someone who had a quest for diversity and an interest and willingness to empower. Needless to say, shortly after Robin demitted office, I was nominated to become the association secretary general and being the first from my part of the world in that particular role. Robin's influence and guidance were invaluable through, throughout these moments and throughout many other moments as we kept regularly in contact as good friends. Colleagues, today I thank and celebrate Professor Robin Mansell as a mentor, a source of inspiration, and a friend of the Global South. I congratulate her 
on an outstanding and still continuing career, one of excellence, sharing, high achievement, and distinguished scholarship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Hopeton, for your kind words. Um, our next speaker is Jillian Marshall, CEO of Resilience Capital Venture, uh, LLC, LLC in Washington, DC. Uh, Dr. Marshalle holds a PhD from the University of Sussex and was a tenured Associate Professor of Strategy and Innovation at the Wits Business School from 2008 till 2014. She also served as the Assistant Dean Postgraduate Affairs of the Faculty of Commerce, Law and Management at the Wits University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Dr. Marcello was also involved with the IFC of the World Bank, the UN and MIT. Thank you, Chair. And um, good evening to everyone who's here and who is online. I'm looking out in the audience and I'm seeing that many of you are probably younger than the first publication that where I encountered Robin Mansell, because I was doing some quick math. <laughs> and I, I think that was 33 years ago. And um, really, my comments are about Professor Robin Mansell as a field builder, a field in which power, as um, Professor Dunn has said, is central. And what that often means is that when power and wealth are concentrated as they are in what you have now come to call the tech sector, it is very unusual for critique. Because critiquing the 10 men who own more financial wealth than 350 million people takes courage. But I often reflect on the fact that if just a fraction of what was published in 1987 and through 1989 in the telecommunication network-based services series that Robin Mansell led at the OECD had been actually translated into policy, we would not have a situation where the financial assets of the finance sector is $450 trillion. That is approximately six times global GDP. So we have financial assets that are six times real goods and services. What makes it worse is that there are five companies, all US-based tech companies, that account for 15 to 20% of the S&P. That is a concentration of power that was foreseen. Because in telecommunications network-based services and the other work that she did on the architecture of the telecommunications industry, Robin Mansell argued against that kind of concentration of power. So can you imagine what would have happened if rather than unfettered growth where the internet companies were able to find that niche 
within telecommunications that was unregulated. Because most of you are digital natives, so you won't know that the telecoms industry was actually highly regulated, except for that niche. And now we have Facebook, and he is minor because we have Elon Musk in Twitter, we have Alphabet, we have Google, and so on. And by identifying the structure of the telecommunications services that provide the platform on which these services ride, 33 years ago, she was able to identify some policy-relevant issues that I would recommend to every economist, social scientist, and media and communications theorist, because they are still relevant. One other thing that I will say as well is that Robin, in doing her work, and, and Professor Dunn spoke up to this as well, always talked about plurality. One of her most famous works is called Knowledge Societies. And that is important because she resisted what is a very typical urge to impose an Anglosphere view of what the information society and what ICT should be at a time when it would have been easy to do that. And many others have done it. And so I think that with those two examples, I want to offer to you that in addition to being the best PhD supervisor on the planet, <laughs> um, that she is a brilliant theorist who, as many others have said, skews towards modesty. And so it's up to us to actually excavate her intellectual and theoretical contributions and make those contributions actually applicable at a time when the media and communications world needs it so very much. So thank you very much. And thank you, Robin for being such an important person in all of our lives. Thank you, Jillian, for those kind words as well. Uh, our next speaker is Mark Raboy. Uh, Mark is Emeritus Professor in the Department of Art History and Communication Studies at McGill University in Montreal in Canada. And besides being a leading figure in our field, especially when it comes to the intersection of media communication uh, and infrastructures and democracy, Mark is also a writer. In fact, his most recent book is entitled Looking for Alicia, the Unfinished Life of an Argentinian Rebel. And the title is so enticing. It's just out, I think. I really want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and also noteworthy is his authoritative biography of uh, Marconi. Uh, Mark, the floor is yours. Thank you, Bart. Hello, everyone. It's always a great pleasure and delight to speak at LSE, and particularly an honor on an occasion such as this. 
I don't remember exactly when I met Robin, but I do remember clear as day when she first came to my attention. It was at the annual Congress of the Canadian Communication Association in 1982 or 83, and they had just announced the winner of a new award for best theoretical article in the Canadian Journal of Communication. The person who came up to the stage to accept the award was introduced as a doctoral student from Simon Fraser University, and she was so young. <laughs> I turned to the person next to me in the audience and said, was that for best student article? No, of course not, they replied. It was best theoretical article. Well, I looked it up the other day. I saw that it was Robin's first publication. The article was called The New Dominant Paradigm in Communication, Transformation versus Adaptation. I was completing my own doctoral studies at the time and struggling with notions of paradigms, dominant and others. And I remember saying to myself, I've got to keep an eye on this person and I haven't stopped for 40 years. <laughs> While checking Robin's CV in preparation for this brief talk, I noticed and remembered her second publication, co-authored with her doctoral supervisor, Bill Melody. Robin was second author on that article, but not to denigrate Bill Melody in any way, I have no doubt as to who did the heavy lifting. <laughs> the article was called The Debate Over Critical Versus Administrative Research circularity or challenge and it appeared in the now iconic 1983 issue of the journal of communication entitled ferment in the field and of course this was while she was still a student the rest of robin's cv as we all know reads like a critical history of the theory and practice of communications research of the past 40 years she has been a pivotal figure I've just written the foreword to a forthcoming book in which Robin has a chapter entitled Global Communications Government Research, Colliding Epistemologies and Methodologies. I'll say no more about that. You'll have to read it. <laughs> but isn't that title itself just quintessentially Robin? As I said, I don't recall exactly when we actually met. It was either at CCA or IAMCR, probably the latter, in the mid-1980s. Academically, we were evolving on parallel tracks. I was a broadcasting person. She was a telecoms person. These were two solitudes in those innocent days. Mm -hmm. In fact, as an aside, I remember a prominent British scholar, who shall remain nameless, declaring at a television studies conference, I'm not interested in telephone poles. <laughs> but it was clear that Robin and I shared some important common values. And anyway, we were often the only Canadians in the room and that had to count for something. I continued to run into Robin from time to time, but her interests really began to converge more clearly in the late 1990s with the mainstreaming of the new awareness of the unity of what had seemed for so long to be separate areas or a field. As convergence became one of the key buzzwords of the day, Robin and I began to find ourselves occasionally on panels and as contributors to edited publications and reports, and even I think on a research project or two. Years passed, books were published, papers given, careers grew, and then she was elected president of IAMCR. And very quickly, within hours actually, I learned how forceful a presence Robin could be in her quiet and unassuming way. 
chairing her first international council meeting, she persuaded me, if coerced is too strong a word, to take on a position I was trying to avoid as co-chair of the IMCR task force for the World Summit on the Information Society. We were now co-conspirators in the arena of global policy activism. When IAMCR launched a series of handbooks in media and communication research a few years later, I decided I wanted to do one on global media and communication policy. There was no question of doing it alone. Such a project was too daunting. There were too many pitfalls, too many people to cajole, too much editing, too much inevitable rewriting. I needed a collaborator and it took me about two minutes to realize that it had to be Robin. I wanted to work with her. She had just completed her mandate as president of IMCR. So I wrote to her, made my pitch. I think she was hesitant at first. She was used to people saying, when you need to get something done, ask Robin, and then getting stuck holding the bag and doing all the work. But she agreed. It was a big book and a true collaboration. I think it worked out. At least she said so publicly in her remarks at my own retirement event in 2018. <laughs> I'm very grateful for that. Speaking by video from London that day, she said with typical humility that she was sorry she wasn't able to be there because she had to teach. Robin wished me a happy retirement and added prophetically, perhaps one day I'll join you in that. Well, old friend, it looks like that day has come. Robin, I wish you many happy, productive years ahead doing whatever you want to do. But I suspect that some of that will involve more writing, speaking, and organizing, and surely some interests that we don't yet know about. So welcome to the club, and I look forward to the next chapter. Thank you, Mark. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, our next speaker is Alison Nora Gilwald, uh, who is Executive Director of Research ICT Africa, which is an African digital policy and regulatory think tank. She's also a joint professor at the Nelson Mandela School of Public Governance in the University of Cape Town in South Africa, where she convenes a doctoral program in the digital economy and society in Africa. And Dr. Gilwald is currently also serving as a member of the UN Secretary General's Digital Cooperation Roadmap, Digital Inclusion Roundtable, and a member of the Data Governance Working Group of the Global Platform on Artificial Intelligence. Alison, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Bart. I'm not sure where my second name, my grandmother's name has come from. I only appears in my passport, but <laughs> thank you very much for the for the introduction. Um, good evening to you, um, Professor Emeritus Robin Mansell, Merita Robin Mansell, and of course to this um, wonderful uh, panel that I'm so privileged to be part of. I've also been extremely privileged to have been the beneficiary over more than two decades, not only of Robin's extraordinary intellect but also her gift of mentoring and caring collegiality as her student and as a colleague on advisory boards and in multilateral processes. As a friend and comrade in the patriarchal world of telecom reform and digital policy, multilateral engagement and academic and research networks, her astute observation and assessment of such situations, often done through quiet, wry humor 
have been a regular source of comfort and encouragement. As my supervisor, and going beyond the call of duty to be so, as a mature student, she has been a rock bed that I did not often need to tread as a result of others keeping me buoyant, but which, when critically needed, she was there, as I know she's been for others. My life intersected with Robin through her doctoral supervisor and mentor, Bill Melody, as mentioned, whose determined commitment to build sound research evidence base for telecom reform beyond the hallowed halls of the North American and European Academy led him to championing a policy and training research center that I had set up um, at the then new School of Governance um, that Gillian Marcel was um, uh, served at for some time the Wits, at Wits University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Having served two inaugural terms at the first independent post-apartheid broadcasting and telecommunications regulator, um, along a similar time to, to Hopeton or just before. Um, the intention of this was to fast track regulatory training for African regulators who like me had been plunged into infrastructure and economic regulation um, with so-called best practice policy and law based on assumptions of democracy and rule of law evidence from countries with institutional endowments um, and complex regulatory solutions um, that we did not have the capacity to absorb. Bill's commitment to creating a Global South network of evidence-based policy and regulatory practice found re resonance with Rohan Samarajiva, a doctoral uh, colleague, <laughs> cohort of uh, Robbins, in fact, of Bill's, who, like me, had ended his term at the, as the head of the Sri Lankan telecoms regulator and was equally passionate about putting his academic and regulatory experience to enabling effective and alternative regulatory practices suited to the Global South. We began offering joint training programs and soon I was serving with Robin on Learn Asia's esteemed scientific board with some of the leading scholars in this area, such as Robin, who, had, um, who have continued to provide supervisory and advisory network to my own doctoral students and research network. Um, at the Nelson Mandela School of Public Governance at the University of Cape Town, which has exchange programs with uh, LSE. It was late in the 1990s, though, and at the turn of the millennium, that Robin's pioneering work with Richard Hawkins and Ed Steinmiller's um, on the practical challenges of intermediation um, relating to dematerialization of economic activity, um, novel at the time, had already caught my eye in the early days of trying to establish this uh, fast track center and this research center um, and desperately trying to build a curriculum and course content that would extend beyond at that time development bank and multilateral regulatory toolkits. In fact, reviewing some of these early texts for this uh, short talk in the light of Robin's 2020 book um, on advanced introduction to platform economics, again with Ed um, and Professor Phillips, there is a sense of Robin's critique of dominant neoclassical models of digitization, which of course govern much of the current discourse around platform, uh, digital platform growth and transformation of the economy um, in her policy and regulatory research of, over the years, having come full circle. But it was at that time, the global focus as mentioned by Mark on the World Summit of the Information Society, and my engagement with LearnNet, the wider network that had extended from um, Bill Melody's uh, efforts in the Global South, that Robin's voice first emerged for me amongst the critical practitioners and academics 
resisting some of the early hype of the Washington Consensus outside of the Academy and in the multilateral agencies and fora whose mandates were indeed intended to serve all of humanity and appeared not to. Robin and Uta Wen's early books on the Knowledge Society and with Andreas Kreder's work, um, also Knowledge in a Nutshell, Knowledge Societies in a Nutshell, reminded these powerful epistemic communities who um, Gillian has referred to were informing and setting the reform agenda. That it was not just about technologies, it was about people, social organization, adaptation and control. Her work consistently during this time warned against the dangers of not um, tailoring ICT strategies to the specific and changing needs of countries in the developing regions of the world. Always keeping her eye on regulation in the public interest while seeking the potential for developing countries in advanced technologies, Robin consistently drew in research and policy perspectives from the global south. Not only focusing her work on digital inequality and injustice, where she, had the, where she had the liberty as editor of um, handbooks of communication or as advisors on conference proceedings to commission chapters, she drew on local research and policy and regulatory empirical analysis, as she has done with me and others who would otherwise have been overlooked in these formal publication processes. At other times when research in this area was far more removed from practical issues and challenging, um, uh, and challenges that were facing developing countries, Robin's work provided a grounding in the real issues where pragmatic assessment of digital and economic regulation or in support of social movements. Robin's um, strong examples of collaboration we also see in the work with Carl Nordstrang, linking the McBride report and the New World Information Order debates to the digital divide um, highlighted in the World Summit of the Information Society bringing together, as many have mentioned, this convergence between broadcasting and telecommunications, but always highlighting the perpetuation of information asymmetries, even with the emergence of so-called free and the free and open internet that was meant to provide an alternative to dominant power relations. Um, so the other, on the other side, at times when policy research was highly applied and there was a poverty of theory, Robin's work offered a coherence and consistency through the application of political economy and institutional analysis to assess some of the outcomes and explain some of the failures of these new global communication systems. Together with work such as that with Mark um, Raboy, they've offered um, you know, political framing for some of these touchstones that have spawned policy debates in the field in the broader area of communication media and, and, and communication studies. And then in what for some of us will be Robin's tour de force, imagining the internet, Robin really summons her extensive knowledge and theory, theory and practice over three decades to counter the narratives of abundance and self-organizing nature of these complex adaptive systems to confirm the aspirations of a good society that we have seen dominate and witnessed over the last decade. She offers instead a profound analysis to demonstrate that this is misleading of the implications of what she identifies as the paradoxes of, the, of information scarcity and the complexity of the internet, internet age. And, this is, and what she um, says accounts for this persistent conflict that we constantly face from a policy point of view between a dominant market-led vision of the information society 
and an increasingly prominent alternative vision of an information um, commons. But even this notion of a commons, which has been presented as a kind of biblical solution to some of these um, problems, she interrogates the notion of the commons applied to the internet currently with its exclusionary nature and its elite leadership and asks whether these systems do empower people and allow them to make choices about their lives or whether they do not reinforce the power relations that contribute to persistent poverty. She asks whether to manage such complex systems in the public interest, we will need governance measures both from below and above. And so it doesn't fall into this kind of very polarized um, position between two schools, um, always looking for the public interest um, governance in a communication system that is fit for economic growth, but also for limiting the harms with the now unwanted intrusion um, in everyday life. We know from Robin's publications in the pipeline that her extraordinary contribution to the leadership in the rapidly and ongoing evolving field is far from done. And certainly her legacy lives on in the many scholars she has supervised and who are now luminaries in their own right. It is for this reason that I am both extremely humbled and absolutely delighted to have been asked to give this tribute to Robin. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Alison, uh, for, for again, also for these very kind, kind, kind words. Um, we end with uh, a video uh, from our uh, former uh, colleague, Linje Magnoso, who is now Senior Lecturer in Communication for Development in the School of Media and Communication at RMT, RMIT uh, in Melbourne, Australia, which is one of the reasons why it's pre-recorded, because it's pretty early in the morning there, I think, now. Uh, <laughs> or night, rather. Uh, previously, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Magnoso was a much valued assistant professor in our department. He teaches and advises on the relationship between media communication and ICTs for development. And his most recent publications include communicating development with communities. And the context is the message theory of indigenous knowledge communication systems. Hi, I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ asks social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question, like why do people believe in conspiracy theories, or can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the event. Let me start off by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of the lands on which this university, the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology is conducting its business. I therefore pay my respects to elders past and present for granting us the opportunity to work and live on their country. I left the LIC back in 2012 to do development work. I had so many ideas and fantasies about how I was going to carry out my endeavors Little did I know that going into this work, I would be faced with the same challenges that Robin Elizabeth Mansell had raised in a beautiful article published in 1982 titled Communication and Development, Transformation versus Adaptation. In that piece, Robin raised a number of issues, and I'm not going to explore 
all of them here. But I would like to focus on and highlight three of them that are really critical, especially in our discussion of media communication and development. The first one concerned the dominance of diffusionist models of communication and development. A key argument that Robin raised in that article is that even though the so-called new paradigm of communication and development had come with new terms like participation, inclusion, diversity, the field was still beholden to the old ways of doing things, i.e. The, 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 the emphasis on diffusionist approaches towards development and social change. In fact, Robin argues in that article that even though the so-called new paradigm of communication and development claimed it to be holistic, it was still very rigid in terms of the way it thought about its strategies, its policies, and the way development was being conceived and implemented at the local level. And that's what I saw in my work, that even though we talked about consultation and participation, much of the work is and continues to be informed by diffusionist models of communication in public health, in agriculture, in, in environmental management, in all other sectors of development. It's about experts sitting down in offices and deciding the best ways, the best strategies, and the best approaches with which to implement specific interventions. Just like Robin said, the terms have seemingly changed over the years. But at, at, at their basis, at the basis of this old paradigm or the new paradigm, is the fact that things have refused to change even when it has become necessary to do so. The second challenge I made and faced that Robin already wrote back in 1982 concerns the issue of research. The way research is constructed, is thought about, is described, the research questions and research methodologies. And we should remember that research it is through research that policies are conceived, and it is through research that knowledge is generated not only from universities, but international public goods and other institutes that aim at generating knowledge that can inform the way we think about specific problems and the way we think about specific solutions. Indeed, a very good example is something to do with the role of culture, especially when it comes to HIV transmission. The, the, the first time I came into this field as a policymaker, I would hear left and right that it is culture that is contributing, cultural practices that is, that are contributing to the spread of new HIV infections. And yet when you look at the know your epidemic studies, you would find that people like me, people who are least likely to practice their cultural traditions, are the ones contracting and spreading new HIV infections. So indeed, research becomes problematic within the context of development because it does, instead of just revealing what is on the ground, it does reveal the ideologies of the people who are funding these research exercises. The third aspect that I think is very critical and I faced in my development work 
concerns the issue of power, decision-making. Who makes decisions? Where are decisions made? For whose benefit are these decisions made and articulated and implemented through policies, through strategies, and through other mechanisms that offer an opportunity to think about, to collaborate, to co-design interventions with and alongside people. And I mention power because oftentimes we are able to bring people to the table to discuss specific issues and come up with solutions. But I remember very well that in some of the meetings that I chaired, I was the chair of technical working groups, somebody from the donor community or from an influential organization would give me a call at night. Linje, is it possible for you to steer the conversation in this way and make sure that you achieve a number of objectives in this particular area? So even though people were invited, people felt they were participating in a meeting, or a consultative meeting, decisions had already been made before that meeting was held. And these are issues that Robin already wrote back in 1982. And this article has been at the centerpiece of our teaching and research in communication for development. Now, the question would be, does this matter all these conversations, do they matter at all? I think they do, because I remember reading something from this beautiful book, Why Study Media, by Roger Silverstone. He writes in chapter 16 that in everything we do, through our words and actions, we should try as much as possible to find other people. Perhaps unknowingly or knowingly, what Roger Silverstone was doing, he was quoting Plato in the first book of this beautiful book, Nicomachean Ethics, where Plato, uh, sorry, not Plato, but Aristotle, talks about this notion of eudaimonia, this ability of human beings to pursue the highest form of goodness. And because the title of the conversation today concerns not just ICTs and, and Robin's work in that, but this agenda to achieve a fairer world, a world that is more equal, that is more just, and that is more democratic. Which means that as, as, as academics and as researchers, as, as a student of society, we need to pay attention to the value of our work in people's lives. Why do we do this, why do we do this research? Why do we teach these issues? Why do we care about these issues? It's because we want to contribute to a world that is good, a world that is sustainable for everybody, and the world in which people are able to find each other and be able to resolve their differences, even when it seemingly appears to be unlikely. There is another aspect of Robin's work that I think I need to highlight. I remember back in 2005 or six, when I was still doing my PhD, I visited my great-grandmother back in Malawi. I knew she was over a hundred, so I wanted to take the opportunity to say, not necessarily bye-bye, but to, to, to wish her well whatever decision she would make about her life uh, after, after that encounter. So she took me on a walk in the village. So we we're walking in the village together, and she stopped. And he says, Linji, what do you see? I looked around, all I could see were trees, mountains or hills, anti-hills next to us. 
and uh, I, I described what I saw. And then she asked me again, what do you see? So I remember walking to, 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 to her back, just behind her, so that I could see the world from her perspective. And I, I didn't see anything new. And I repeated, I said, look, this is what I see, trees, vegetation, the forest, the hills, and the anthill, and everything else. And she kept it quiet. After some time, she says, you know, that's a wisdom of water. She said, oh, everything you see is because of water. So I forgot about that conversation until years later, I began to critically think about the lessons she had taught me, not just about this particular concept of wisdom of water, but because of so many things she had taught me. And then I come to realize that indeed water has its own wisdom. In, in our language, I would say, nzeru zamazi. Water has its own wisdom. Yes, you can use water for washing, you can use water for doing a number of things, but water has, also has this soft power, whereby if you look at a tree, you don't think about it, but there will be no tree without water. There will be even no building without water. We use water for construction as well. It is my well-considered belief, looking at the role Robin has played in building me as an academic, in helping me, capacitating me as an academic in terms of strengthening my writing skills, thinking through what it is that I'm writing, that even though my books list me as a single author, the spirit of Robin Elizabeth Mansell comes through a lot. That's a wisdom of water. And to me, that's Robin's greatest contribution. It's where she is invisible, where she's been able to help people like me, people who oftentimes don't have the intellectual voice to speak in a certain way, to write in a certain way, to say, Linja, you can think you have the right and authority to write and think in this way. And it is for this reason that I'm celebrating you, Robin, Elizabeth, and I'm saying thank you so much for the writings in communication and development, but more importantly, for helping people like me to find their own voice. The university is a, is, is, is a tough environment for a person like me. So I would like to genuinely thank you and wish you well in whatever it is that you decide to do next. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lin thank you, Linjiv. Uh, although you were, uh, uh, it was a recording, it was still uh, lovely to, to see and, 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 hear, and hear you. Um, and I have a Q&A on my agenda here, but I don't know, it's a bit of weird to have kind of a Q&A, but maybe there is still some time. So maybe I could kind of open things up for if somebody wants to kind of make a comment or a contribution or, uh, or, or, uh, or a question for that matter. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gregory. Uh, I'm a lecturer at uh, King's, but most important for here, I'm a former PhD student of province, and I would like to use this opportunity to speak the voice of some of the former PhD students. So uh, someone told here today that uh, Robin is the best PG supervisor on the planet. So I don't know what I did in my previous life to win this opportunity to be a student, uh, Robin's student, but it was really amazing experience. And I think most important is uh, that I felt that my brain was completely rewired. I, I, I experienced some cognitive change over several years, <laughs> and I think it was almost a spiritual experience. So I... I I have no idea what is expecting to me when once I got this opportunity, but I would like to say that 
I think Robbins changed the life of so many people, and we can see the uh, stories, and we can hear the voices of actually people that got voice, and I feel the same, and I just want to also to speak as a former participant to say that I feel this presence, uh, the, the, the spirit, the voice of water with me uh, all the time in all my writings, and it's an amazing opportunity to be here today and say thank you to Robin. So Robin, thanks again, and I really hope to continue our ongoing conversations and dialogue. Thanks a lot. Thank you, very much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Dorothea Kleinen. I was uh, also one of um, Robin's PhD students. Um, but I wasn't in the media and comms department, uh, even though I absolutely loved it and I squatted there and they let me be there and so on. I was in a joint kind of uh, supervision with the geography department. And so I wanted to just um, mention an aspect that hasn't appeared yet um, in this, which is uh, also the the openness across disciplines. Yes. Um, uh, you know, I was in a in a geography department. Um, our in our supervision, Stein Perens was, uh, who's also here at the LSE, um, was doing economic geography and gender studies. Um, Robin was bringing all of the things in that you've you've already mentioned, and it was an exciting mix in that room. Um, I hope it was exciting for my supervisors. <laughs> for me, it was terrifying, but um, in a way, it was incredibly liberating because um, particularly also with, with um, sort of Robin's assuredness and seniority, basically saying that, you know, it's okay to read wherever it's coming from and listening to a diversity of voices is a good thing. And by the way, and then insert name X, isn't actually all that he's made out to be. Um, <laughs> that was really, really liberating as a PhD student to hear. Um, and I've always really appreciated that. And, and navigating the academy, um, navigating different disciplines. In, in our field, it was ICT for development, and it's still a space in, in which I'm, I'm really active now. Often, um, you see different characters of scholars. You see um, scholars who are, are particularly also impressive in their own right, but also who make space for others. And I think what we've heard today was a legacy also of doing both, being impressive in their own right. And goodness, it's brilliant when you have female leaders at the very top of you know, our respective disciplines who are incredibly impressive, but then also making space for others. And it's that kind of being an academic in the world that I, I'm, I'm aspiring to be. Never mind, you know, that there was an intellectual growth and all the rest of it. But it's also about being a scholar and what kind of scholar, what kind of academy we want to see. And for that, also, thank you, Robin. If, if not. But I was wondering whether, for sure. those of us who are not in the room, even if we can't persuade Robin to s talk to us, if we could have a glimpse of her, maybe. <laughs> um, of course, I can totally understand that. And, and maybe if I could invite Robin on, on, on stage and, and we could, and so other people can see it, but we can also kind of give her a present. <laughs> Where am I going? Oh, I'm 
pleasure. Where are our guests? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. How often have I been, been silenced in my life? Not very often. Um, thank you to all of you who've spoken. Um, I, think, I think what I want to say is the struggle must go on. <laughs> that's, that's, that's almost a la, hasta la victoria siempre. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mind has been flip-flopping between um, well, you know, what is the point of academic research if you write an article in 1982 and people remember it? But what difference did it make? Look where we are. <laughs> we have poor governance. We have governance from above. We have power relations, which are still very hierarchical. We have um, many uh, Global North people neglecting the Global South. So what difference did it all make? And I think I would come back to what some of you have alluded to. It isn't these magnificent big leaps and disruptions that all of the media talk about that is happening in our world of mediated communication. It is the incremental steps, the small caring resistances to the top-down power of the big tech companies and all the rest of it, which actually make the difference. And every once in a while, when you look back from the vantage point of now into the past, you can see, oh, that did make a difference, but you can't see it going forward. And so I think I will retire, sort of, and reflect. <laughs> I will become reflective for once, and I will think about what might have made a difference and what didn't, because I don't intend to stop here. Maybe I can learn from myself and from all of my former students, and whether they were PhDs or masters. Um, I received far more than I ever gave. Thank you. Thank you. So, shall we have a drink? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, everyone. And, and, and thank you to uh, all our speakers. Uh, thank you, Hopton. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Allison. I think that's all that's there now. Yeah. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the LSE Events Podcast on your favorite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review. Visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next. We hope you join us at another LSE event soon.